Welcome to episode 224 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. On the podcast this week, we're going to start a multi-episode discussion about the evolution of software and the future of computing, looking at how a handful of advances, such as artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, neuroscience, and additive fabrication will come together to transform software and hardware into something new, which we're calling smartware. Smartware are computing systems that require little active user input, integrate the digital and physical worlds, and are continually learning on their own. In addition to our podcast discussion, we're happy to announce a six-part monthly series on smartware in partnership with our friends at respected user experience publication, UX Matters. That series is going to be starting later this month with the issue that comes out on September 25th. So let's start our smartware discussion with what we're calling a tribute to dead machines. So we're calling this a a tribute to dead machines because we're fully expecting that machines uh, that that are smart are going to feel like uh, they're alive. Feel like is the emphasis. They won't be alive (laughs) for quite some time. Yes, yes. So we we know that uh, technology and humanity are inseparable. Uh, not only is technology present in every facet of civilization, uh, it even predates it. Uh, isn't that right, Dirk? Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And I mean, maybe just to take a take a brief brief detour into sort of the history of technology, sort of to frame where we are with smartware. Uh, you know, the the earliest evidence of Homo sapiens of our species is three hundred thousand years old at this point. It was two hundred thousand for a long time. Just recently, now um, they've discovered remains dating to three hundred thousand, and with those remains was technology. And the the earliest evidences of technology as used by, by humans actually goes back a million years. So it is likely that technology preceded um, Homo sapiens, preceded our very species. And you know, technology has, even if it preceded our species, technology has certainly been uh, you know, one of the, the qualities that most marks humanity and, and who and what we are. And you know, there's been there's been multiple epochs over over history where where different things were happening in technology. But what we're going to be talking about is basically the things that have been happening since 1950, give or take. So the the technologies that were sort of coming to a head during World War II, um, which included early computing technologies, which included uh, nuclear and certainly the weaponization and the the power usage of nuclear technologies, among many others, led to this this explosion in science and technology in the 1950s up to the present, uh, core among them, the the technology of computing. Right. So I I think there are, you know, just very broadly three big eras of of computing that that we want to touch on today, starting with uh, what what, uh, what we might term the era of big machines. So uh, really, up until the 70s, a computer was a room, right? It, it wasn't uh, uh, something on your desktop, and it wasn't something in your pocket, certainly. It was, uh, it was a giant room that uh, only had sort of limited access to, to the folks that, that were lucky enough to, uh, 
to be able to use it. And and I think those those early uh, days of computing really shaped the way people thought about them for for a good long time. So computing was expensive. It was limited access. It was uh, uh, something that uh, required, uh, you know, science or or uh, some type of advanced degree to use. So you can see those themes really shape the way computing comes into our culture, right? So it's this um, uh, something I, I I won't call it elite, but but it's cordoned off. Uh, it is not uh, sort of the consumer or the everyday usage that that we see now. Dirk, your your thoughts on on the era of big machines? Yeah, it's I mean it's really a, an era of of grotesque. Um, you know the the machines in their in their size, in their scale, in their difficulty to use um, were were really grotesque things, and they lived um, just in universities and businesses, and they existed. Um, you know, they didn't exist like a candy bar. They didn't exist like a bottle of water that are something that you have and you use in, in the way that you need and the way you see fit. It existed more like a lake where, um, you know, you would come to the lake and try and get something from the lake. Um, but it was this huge thing, this huge mass, as opposed to something that was that was personal. Um, and and certainly, you know, only, again, living in, in businesses and, and in... Um, research institutions for the most part. Right. So all very important things uh, happening, but certainly not on the level of uh, sort of everyday people using computing technology. Uh, that was to to come in, in the 70s, which um, I'm proud to say is is really <laughs> really my era, right? Or our era, the, the, the Gen Xers who, uh, you know, took computing uh, uh, from the or or experienced uh, computing coming from uh, the large machine era to the the desktop, which you know really was uh, uh, the realization of of the dreams of entrepreneurs like uh, like Bill Gates at, at Microsoft and and Steve Jobs at Apple, uh, really enabling a computer to be on on every desktop, even if the early models uh, uh, you know didn't do all that much and uh, once again were expensive and, and probably required a uh, an advanced degree to use them uh, and and now you know I look back on my collection of uh, floppy disks and all of the tricks that I learned uh, for for you know the terminal on my uh, uh, on my PC and and it's it's fun nostalgia but I'll, I'll tell you as from a user experience standpoint that era of computing, uh, was pretty fraught and 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 difficult. Although I, I must say it it really hooked me as well. So you had those two poles: the uh, lousy user experience coupled with this complete and utter fascination with this uh, computing technology that was now in my home. Dirk, did you have a, a similar experience like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, my take will be a little bit different. I mean, the you know the the boomers created the the PCs. We enjoyed the PCs. Um, they really the, the the sort of PC era was an evolutionary one. So certainly in the seventies and eighties, there was limited value. Certainly as a child, I spent a lot of time playing games on the computer, but. You know, they're games that by today's standards would be pretty ridiculous, something like Ultima 3 or Wizardry or 
or or something like that. Um, in 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 comparison to the games of today, they they seem it's hard to believe somebody could spend hours and days playing those games. But but indeed, I did. Um, so it was it was really limited to games and very narrow niche um, applications. You know, certainly desktop publishing. Um, you know, the creation of things like newsletters and banners and that kind of thing had had an impact. Um, certainly used in accounting from very very early days. Uh, there was a uh, a meaningful impact there, as as well as other places. But over time, that impact really grew. And so, as the '90s came, and particularly with the rise of the internet, the utility of the personal computer just exploded. Now, despite that explosion, the personal computer still was like um, it, it was still this thing that, for most people, sat in a corner or in a room that wasn't frequently used and people would go to sort of special case, use their personal computer and then get up and, and stop using it again. So it was, um, you know, it was ugly. It was mainstream in the sense that many people had it, but not mainstream in the sense that there were a lot of people who would have listed computer use as one of their core hobbies or, um, things that were most central to, to their life. And, so the, the the things you could do on computers, the capability of computers, the um, the access to information, but also the bi-directional sending of electronic communications through the internet, these are all things along with, you know, always improving user interfaces, particularly once we got into the mid-90s with the formalization of the field of user experience and beyond. Personal computers were, were continuing to get better, but they also continued to either sit on your desk at work or in a corner of your house as opposed to be core to, you know, sort of your experience of living. Yeah, one, one thing that, you know, really struck me at the uh, sort of the, the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, was the the evolution sort of spearheaded by by Apple of computers from beige boxes into things that you might actually want in your house. So for, you know, the 70s and the 80s and a good chunk of the 90s, um, we, we lived with beige boxes, which, uh, you know, came to epitomize computing for me, you know, for obvious reasons, uh, and and of course, in the computer labs, I suppose you'd have your X terminals, which were, you know, just more different kinds of beige boxes, really, but with with even worse screens that that glowed, you know, green or orange, depending on what what monitor you were lucky enough to have. Uh, but there there was this evolution of computers uh, from being this. Uh, a sort of machine into uh, more a more personal object, right? We aren't fully there in terms of integrating the computer into into lifestyle yet, but at least there, you know, you begin to see this this uh, aesthetic uptick, this this appreciation for the fact that this thing's going to be in my house or in my school or in my my business, and it should at least look like something as opposed to uh, you know a beige Lego brick. That was a perhaps, you know, sort of underappreciated uh, change, I think. Um, and I didn't really understand the significance of a, a well-designed, you know, industrial design computer. Uh, but that would, that would start to become, you know, more, more evident as, as we went into this next era, which, uh, of course, we're uh, still living in right now, which is the mobile era of computing. Dirk, do you want to uh, uh, do a little 
little summary of the evolution of, of mobile. Sure, you know, mobile. I mean, the 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 sort of the the previous era, the era, the PC era, as well as the mobile era, are are two different periods that really were um, enabled by one company, which is which is Apple. You know, Apple with the PCs, um, you know, took it to be more mainstream, took it to be more something that people have in their house and is a part of their family, not in the sense of a being, but in the sense of, um, of, of, of belonging and having a, a, a use, a service to the average person. Um, but then now in the, in the mobile era in, you know, what, what's been kicked off in the late aughts and is continuing now today, it was Apple's iPhone that, um, created the, the explosion in mobile computing. I mean, the reality is, Devices like the iPhone existed for many years before. I mean, the BlackBerry as a business tool had a fair amount of the functionality of an iPhone for for a number of years. Uh, there were other competitors, uh, or I guess before an iPhone, there weren't competitors, but there were other smartphones that, while perhaps not as nice as the iPhone, not as full-featured as the iPhone, were, were clearly down the path of it. But it was the iPhone and the specific design of that device that, created the explosion of mobile computing, which took computing and made it something that was an integrated part of the lifestyle of most um, most people of middle class and above, certainly, but even people who are less affluent, um, you know, throughout the first world and and even beyond, and took computing from something that was a big box that sat in the den, was something that was more task-based to something that is woven into our lifestyles and in many ways is replacing uh, analog things that that came before it and really has shifted computing into being something that is almost a direct extension of ourselves as we go through our life normally as opposed to this this thing that we use just on a task basis before we go back to our normal lives. Now, I know I've said this before, but but uh, I'll say it again. The uh, uh, the iPhone was really the the Trojan horse for uh, getting everyday computing into uh, the hands of people who might otherwise not have been interested in um, in a uh, a compute platform that they carry around with them. Notice it's the iPhone, not the uh, I mobile computer, right? It's, 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 I mean, the phone is probably one of the, uh, uh, the least, um, uh, not least exciting, but, 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 but least noticeable perhaps feature of, of your iPhone. I mean, it can do, uh, a million other things, uh, from, uh, you know, browsing online to playing games to uh, hailing a, a ride in an instant, right? Um, the the I'm sure people do use their iPhones to to talk on them regularly. I know I do, but there's a generation that doesn't even use that feature all that much. They'd rather text. So um, the iPhone is really just uh, and and smartphones in in general are just a sneaky way of getting everybody to carry around computers in their pockets. Uh, which uh, if you told me that in you know the 80s people would be carrying around everyone everyone would be carrying a computer in their pocket. I never would have believed you. But here we are. So, yeah. so we can see how the per, uh, 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 the computer became uh, 
became personal, uh, became beautiful, became part of our everyday lives over over the uh, these sort of three different different eras of computing. And now uh, there's this this uh, you know this scent in the air, this change uh, which we're calling smartware, which is of the computer becoming a more uh, integrated companion, right, uh, uh, with people, uh, and and so we can begin to see this um, uh, this trend emerge in in some examples of of computing that we sort of take for granted today, but are really sort of the uh, the precursors, the beginnings uh, of of what we'd like to call smartware. Uh, so. Uh, one of those things that that's just coming online now are uh, the self-driving cars, like uh, the Tesla automobile, uh, is one of the, one of the first sort of commercially available self-driving cars. But um, you know this this realization of of uh, sort of a much smarter. Uh, uh, physical digital platform isn't entirely successful, is it, Dirk? No, no, it's not. I mean, we've we've talked about this on the show before. The Tesla self-driving car requires you to have your hands on the wheel and put your you know your foot on the brake, um, which is what I do when I drive normally. So why the hell do I need a self-driving car? Um, can I drive drunk and not get a ticket? I don't think so. Like it's not it's not doing much for me. So, you, you know, the the Tesla is a, a good example of. You know, sort of, sort of rudimentary smartware, where you know early instantiations of um, technology, such as you know, in the case of self-driving vehicles, um, machine learning in particular, um, are going to create products that do things that would seem like science fiction, even in in the pretty recent past. Um, and and it's it's also a good sign of how. Um, how the technology is just not there at all. I mean, the thing going back to, to mobile and why the iPhone was such a revolutionary device is that it combines so many things into one. That's what brought in the masses is it, it was your new phone and it was your new camera and it was your new music playing device and it was your new GPS navigational system. Like it just killed all of these other um, categories. It killed all of these other use cases and and that's what made it so remarkable. And we're in this era now, um, and I think you have some other examples. But we're in this era now of of smartware, where the the products that are coming out are not transformational in the same way. They're they're clunky, they're clumsy, and they certainly aren't taking advantage of the full panoply of opportunities that smartware have to offer. They're um, oftentimes very narrowly in, uh, particularly IoT or or machine learning, and not not leveraging all of these things that are kind of coming to a head together. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, another sort of good example of uh, a, a smartware platform that is only starting uh, to, to, to be realized is, is Amazon's Echo uh, with, of course, you know, the, the voice user interface that allows you to do everything from order goods from Amazon to play your music to turn on and off your lights. Uh, Etc. And certainly, there have been lots of you know uh, well-documented uh, cases of you know Amazon Echo sort of not really living up to what uh, people would expect when you uh, when you request something of of the VUI. So, I myself have uh, uh, an an Echo, and and I can tell you that 
most of the time I find it pretty useful, but there are plenty of cases where uh, it becomes uh, frustrating. And, and as a, a person with a sort of a high uh, technology frustration tolerance, um, if I'm getting frustrated with it, I can only imagine uh, what folks uh, who, who, who might not be nearly as as tolerant uh, are feeling. So so the Echo once again provides uh, ostensibly sort of this next generation uh, smartware platform, which you know uses a combination of uh, voice recognition and and uh, other services to you know create something that should be magical, and instead sometimes ends up sort of flat on its face. Yeah, uh, I've unplugged mine. It's a novelty. Next. <laughs> so, so, so you can see in in, in those two examples just uh, sort of blips on the radar in terms of uh, where uh, hardware and software are evolving to, um, and of course this being uh, uh, the the very beginning of our uh, discussion on this, we're we're going to continue our discussion in. Uh, in the next episode where we're going to dig a little bit more into the different technologies that are uh, feeding into smartware. But we hope you've enjoyed our tribute to dead machines. And listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to the digitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And, of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at dneemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for Episode 224 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.